Hello, I'm Grayson Brulte, and welcome to a special recap episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Today, I'm joined by Justin Falls, Strategic Communications Manager, SAE International, to take a look at the pivotal conversations throughout the year. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. In this final recap episode, we're going back to the future with leaders and innovators in aerospace technology to discuss the advances in commercial aerospace travel, supersonic aircraft design, and the machine learning that will eventually enable autonomous flight. That means no pilots. And away we go. Enjoy this episode. Welcome again to the podcast, Justin. Thanks, Grayson. Happy New Year. Um, glad we are officially in 2021 and uh, ready to kick off an exciting new year. May 2021 be a magical, memorable year, and may we not look back, may we only look to the future. Absolutely. When we look to the future, we had a lot of awesome conversations last year about aerospace, and especially with vertical takeoff and landing. Our guests throughout 2020 were already doing this, reimagining what's next in aviation. It was one of our best performing topics throughout all of the podcast, and continues to grow, looking to build that into 2021. What are your general thoughts on vertical takeoff and landing from what you've heard throughout this year on the podcast? It's a technology that when I joined SAE, I, was, I could tell you I was very unfamiliar with. I've gotten very up to speed with it in a very short amount of time. And the possibilities for connecting people in short distances, and I know it's going to be actually part of one of the, the clips we'll be playing later, but the ability to take people from airport to final place of business or getting people, hopefully, who live out in a rural area able to connect into a bigger city at a, at a much quicker speed than, than an automobile would, would get them. Just the possibilities and the potential of the technology is, is so fascinating to me. It's fascinating and it's also really, really good for cities and it's good for communities because one of the things we talked about with Mark Moore, who is the engineering director of aviation for Uber Elevate, was the noise level. Electric vertical takeoff and landings, they don't make noise like a helicopter. Where I used to live in LA County and the sheriff, somebody do something naughty and the sheriff would bring the little helicopter. You would hear it on the ground and I would give this analogy to Mark. And I said, Mark, am I gonna hear this? He said, no, Grayson, we're, we're designing this to have low level of noise, not to impact your life, which is really, really impressive. And I'd like to play the uh, clip with Mark Moore to, to get your opinion and allow him to expand upon that. So please roll that clip. In the NASA Puffin piece that you wrote, you talked a lot about redundancy as it relates to safety. Are you taking those same priorities towards safety uh, that you'd have from NASA to Uber around with the redundancy? Yeah, I mean, that's the exciting thing about electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft is now with this core new technology of distributed electric propulsion, you can get rid of all the single failure parts that plague helicopters. You know, uh, I don't want to scare anyone from flying a helicopter because they're really amazing machines, but a helicopter has hundreds of single fault critical parts. And if any one of those breaks, that helicopter is going to come down. With this new technology of distributed electric propulsion, you don't have that. You can design the aircraft to be completely redundant in terms of thrust and control. So if a part breaks, the EV toll can still fly, take off, and land without a problem. The other point that you you clearly articulated in your NASA paper was noise. 
and no- noise is a big issue. And when a helicopter goes over a city where I used to live in the LA area, uh, it's very, very loud. And with eVTOL, it won't be. Can you kind of dive into the noise and compare and contrast the noise from an eVTOL to a traditional helicopter? Yeah, yeah, because that is one of the breakthrough capability that distributed electric propulsion enables. With helicopters, uh, the rotors have to spin really fast because even when you're cruising at 100 to 150 miles per hour, you're still in edgewise rotor flight. So you have an advancing blade and a retreating blade. That is one blade that's going forward with your direction of travel and one that's going the opposite direction. So in order to fly at, at those speeds, you got to spin the blades really fast. Otherwise, that retreating blade stalls, doesn't create any lift, and then the helicopter can't fly. Well, with eVTOL aircraft, you don't have that same uh, constraint. We're able to have many smaller rotors and be able to articulate them, to have them actually be in the direction, uh, producing thrust in the direction of travel. You don't have edgewise rotors. So that means you don't have advancing or retreating blades, and that means you can spin those blades much, much slower. So for context on this, um, most of the eVTOL aircraft that are quiet are spinning at about 400 feet per second tip speeds. That's about half as fast of a rotational rate than helicopter blades. And the noise from a first principles perspective uh, equates to the fifth power of that tip speed. So eVTOL aircraft are able to be half times a half times a half times a half times a half quieter than the quietest helicopters or on the order of 30 times quieter. Safety and quiet is eVTOL. When do we get to a point where cities and sheriffs, the people when they chase the naughty people, start going after them in eVTOLs? We'll make them much harder to, uh, or much easier to catch anyone the bad guys if uh, you can't hear them coming but you know and listening to that that clip you know the one the one thing i thought was so interesting when he talked about safety and and i think that is such a key for adoption for the general public you know if if you feel safe going into a particular mode of transportation you're going to want to continue using that mode of transportation and you're going to tell your friends to use that mode of transportation but then when you add on the noise perspective to it or the the lack of noise Plus the safety, you know, I think that's really what's going to be so key for cities is it's it's quiet. There's not all this noise pollution, but then it's also it's safe. It's safe for our people. And that makes it a much easier sell across the board. So, you know, I think the safety is going to be such a key part for general consumers. Safety plus the noise reduction is just going to help it boom for um, the you know cities and, and municipalities. It's going to do well. And when you put into a multimodal transportation strategy where if you go from your uber ride into an uber elevate into a subway or to a to a bird scooter becomes really interesting but the key to that is you have to have the payment platform that's that interesting conversation that we had with dave glazer from mastercard is connecting that seamless payment because once you combine ground and air with a seamless payment you've invented the future of transportation Mm because countless individuals are going to use it for the primary reason, it's going to save time. It's going to be more convenient if you have to go from New York City to East Hampton or you have to go from uh, Miami to Fort Lauderdale. You can hop in these things and save time. And that's going to become really, really interesting. And when you look at saving time 
and you look at the future of aerospace, we had an awesome, awesome conversation with um, Dale Tutt, the vice president of aerospace and defense industry at Siemens Digital Industry Softwares. And Dale's working on all this incredible technology, but he was a pilot. He flew in all these great storms and understood things. And it's really great when you see these individuals build that. So I'd love to get your opinion on the future of commercial aerospace after we hear our clip from Dale Tutt. So please roll the Dale clip. What do you think the future of commercial aerospace is, both from uh, just regular planes and going into space with spacecrafts? Yeah, I, I do see uh, there's probably you're going to see a lot of growth in the high speed point to point uh, and and not just the supersonic flight, but maybe even hypersonic flight. Uh, you know, there's there's private investors, there's companies that are wanting to invest in, uh, you know, can I go from London to Sydney in in, in an hour? And, and so I think that you're going to see continued investment in high-speed point you know, flight, both supersonic, maybe even hypersonic uh, or near space. Um, and, and then, but you're also going to see, you know, there's such this explosion with the electric propulsion and the urban air taxi models. And so, you know, if you think about how you, you know, how you transport today, if you want to go from like, say Los Angeles, your home in Los Angeles to your home in London, I'm sorry, in New York, um, you're going to take a car to the airport. You're going to take an airplane. You're going to then take another car to where your destination is. And now you, you start to think about this, this different mobility of you take this, you, you take a, an air taxi to the airport. So now instead of driving three hours, you fly 30 minutes and then you go high speed to New York in two hours instead of six and 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 you know now it just changes how you spend instead of spending a day traveling you spend a morning traveling and and i I think that's going to be one of the areas that we see a lot of and then as we were talking about with space i think just this that you know we're on the cusp of seeing this commercial space tourism really i think take off Uh, i'm an optimist about it i i think you know there's there's teams out there doing a lot of great work and uh and you know so i i think you know you're going to start to see that take off and and the technologies uh, especially on high speed, they, t- they tend to overlap a little bit as well. So uh, there might even be some, uh, you know, some kind of crosstalk between those two, uh, two areas of, of technology. And that's a great segue to the, to, the, to the defense industry. We spoke about the commercial aerospace industry, and I want to ask you about the defense aerospace industry. What trends are you starting to see emerge now and then over the next five to 10 to 15 years coming out of the defense aerospace yeah, no, absolutely. Well, obviously, I think one of the easy trends is what's going on with the DoD right now on their digital enterprise. They want to, uh, um, you know, they're 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 making this transition. They're trying to change how they acquire new programs, how they innovate faster, and how they bring new technology to market faster. And and they're doing it using digital digital uh, transformation. They want the digital twin, and and they want you know this open agile frameworks, and and so they're they're looking how do they go faster. Um, that's certainly one of the big trends. I think that, so, you know, that will change how you do acquisition. Um, but then I think you're also going to be seeing more, you know, continue to see more emphasis on sustainment. Uh, sustainability would be a big piece of it that, you know, how do they operate uh, more efficiently, more effectively. Um, and the sustainment model is also important because when you think about the life cycle of these products, they're, they're 30, 40, 50 years. And so, 
you know, it's not just the development cost of the product, but it's how much does it cost as you operate it in the field? So I think you're going to continue to see more emphasis on how do you bring that cost of operations down through a uh, more reliable products, easier to maintain products, more fuel efficient products. And so uh, I think those are all going to be big factors as you go forward in defense. The, the biggest factor in this that's going to have the greatest impact on the global economy, the greatest impact on individuals is time. Time is money. Time is valuable. London to Sydney in one hour, game changing. Being able to take in a vertical takeoff and landing to a, to a plane, get on a supersonic or a hypersupersonic and, and go to your destination and then connect into a ground vehicle completely changes the way that we do business. Justin, when do you feel that consumers will start to experience this technology and then what role will standards play in enabling this technology to be commercialized? I'm not sure when it will become a reality, but I think the one, really the key thing from a standardization process, I think once you really start getting that cooperation and collaboration among all of these forms of mobility, you know, the, the individual or companies working together for the greater good is going to be such a game changer. So once they're looking at it and there's not a, oh yeah, okay, I, I made this trip to uh, you know Sydney or London to Sydney within an hour, but then it took two and a half hours for me to get my EV tall to get me to the hotel. So once, once I think there's that collaboration and a standardized process for everyone working together and making this transportation framework and transportation network work seamlessly, the possibilities are endless at that point. The possibilities are endless, and the common thread is that you're going to most likely go in an electric vehicle. The EV tall is is electric. The plane has a lot of battery systems. Electrification is just going to grow. How and what way do you see SAE playing in the growth of electrification of transportation, both from the ground side and the air side? SAE is very focused on the electric vehicle space, both in the ground vehicle and air spaces. From the standards perspective, we're really making a lot uh, more of a concerted effort to look at how you standardize, you know, both uh, on the ground and in the air. But we're also really making a very solid and concerted effort to publish journals, technical research papers, getting that thought leadership out into the market where the thinking is out there for others to learn and grow and evolve from. So I think that's another really important part is that education piece that, that we're providing to the industry to uh, you know see what's happening now with our or edge research papers, kind of looking at that fringe and saying like, okay, here's some possibilities out here, letting someone read that, digest it and think, okay, that's a great point. Here's how I'm going to create a solution for that. And, and that's, that's where the future is built on, on those type of conversations and that type of learning. It's definitely built that way. The, the key is bringing people together from diverse backgrounds. SAE does an incredible job of that. And I'll give you an example. When we did the SAE interview with Dale Tutt, he talked about Arian Supersonic. He said, oh, you got to meet Tom Weiss, Chairman, President, and CEO of Arian. We're their simulation partner. They're, they're doing incredible things, and Arian's building a supersonic jet. I'd like to roll the clip with uh, Tom Weiss and talk to you all about incredible supersonic jets after. Uh, please roll the clip. Can you talk about the environmental breakthroughs and the acoustic breakthroughs that you've had? So the planes are they're cleaner and are they also quieter as well for the passengers that are inside of your aircraft? Oh yeah, so the uh, good point you bring up on, on acoustics, let's go on that one first because there's two sides of acoustics. There's the landing takeoff noise and I'll call the external noises. So landing takeoff noise, 
Uh, and then there's also the, the boom noise when you're flying supersonically. And then there's, what does it sound like inside the cabin? Um, flying inside the AS2, uh, we actually call it Whisper Quiet. That's the name we give to our, our, our cabin. And it has the lowest sound signature of any jet that's ever come before it. Uh, where we are at maximum 47 dB inside the cabin at flying at supersonic speeds. Outside is, is where we've had a number of breakthroughs. It's, it's probably been our single hardest challenge is to design the airplane to meet the most stringent landing takeoff noise. And again, if you recall back to the Concorde, people loved flying on the Concorde, but those that were around airports that it flew into didn't like it so much. And so our airplane, we've designed our airplane to be extremely quiet, to, be, to, to think about not only the engine noises, but the integration of the engine to the airframe. And so we, we are uh, committed to design the airplane to meet the most stringent landing takeoff noise in the world. Um, the other piece I talked about was the sonic boom. You know, we've known about this atmospheric phenomenology since we broke the sound barrier. It's called Mach cutoff. And there were times when the airplane, you know, an aircraft was flying supersonically, depending on what its uh, speed was, what the, what the temperature gradients of the winds were, uh, what the temperature of the winds were, that the airplane flying supersonically, you wouldn't hear the boom on the ground. Uh, and, and it's been known about. NASA has studied it uh, for decades. We're actually the first company to ever figure out how to engineer it in real time onto an airplane. And part of that was stepping back and thinking about the convergence of a number of technologies, not just the airplane itself, but now the convergence of small satellites that are on uh, low earth orbit, that are, that are sensing the atmospherics of anywhere in, on the planet at great speed and depth. And we harness these two things. So now we can fly the airplane we know what the temperature of the air column in front of us is at, at, at you know, all the way through the column. We understand what the vertical and horizontal winds are inside that air column. And we can adjust the speed of the airplane somewhere between 1.1 and slightly above 1.2 Mach. And what happens is the boom that's created off the airplane actually refracts off of a dense layer of the atmosphere called the caustic layer and just goes back up. And so this will be the first airplane in history flying supersonically, reliably, where the boom at those speeds never actually hits the ground. We call it boomless cruise. Now, once we get back over water, uh, then we go back up to 1.4 Mach. Uh, but it is, it is the, the way that we thought about holistically about acoustics. Uh, this company really, really understands that art form. Boomless cruise, one word for you, Justin. Impressive. Thoughts? I thought Tom had such a great point in this interview. It wasn't in this clip, but Tom made a point to say that aerospace is the birthplace of innovation. And somewhere along the line, it became stagnant. And he said, moving forward, we're starting to take off even further for the future and becoming an innovative sector again. And it's starting with this type of technology, the, the supersonic, hypersonic jets. And then you can even look back as some of the things we've been talking about, the EVTOLs, the innovation is there. 
And it's it's so impressive to see the thinking that's being put into place now after a number of years, as as Tom pointed out, of stagnation within the uh, within the space. It's it's jumping to leaps and bounds to where and wherever the future may go is is going to be fascinating to see. The future is going to be fascinating, and you can look at this. A lot of this has its early days at NASA. That's where Mark Moore was at NASA when he wrote the NASA and Puff paper, which basically invented electric vertical takeoff and landing. And now we're seeing this whole boom of, of entrepreneurs with Jeff Bezos and his Blue Origin. We're seeing Richard Branson's and Virgin Galactic. We're starting to see a lot of interest in aerospace. And then we have Arion. It just seems that where self-driving cars, let's say if we're going to use a baseball analogy of nine innings, self-driving cars is in the third inning. Aerospace innovation for this new is barely in the first inning. It's going to be really amazing to see how it evolves and and how it grows. And Tom brought up the really great point about the sonic boom at takeoff and landing. So if you're near an airport, you live near an airport, it's not going to have an impact on your life. And that's the, the trend is that aerospace is not just innovating for the sake of innovating. They want to get you there faster. They want to get you there in a cleaner way. But they don't want to have a detrimental impact on the environment. And they don't want to have a detrimental impact of anybody that they may encounter throughout this entire journey. What are your thoughts on their commitment to sustainability and everything that they're doing to do good right by society? That is such an important factor when you consider how we as a a society perceives technology and perceive company uh, these days. We look at companies based on how they behave as a global corporate citizen. And that's an important, really an important piece. It's no longer just, hey, you put out a good product. It's you put out a good product, but you're also a good company. And we we as a society have have prioritized working with good companies and good, you know, good people. And and that's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. That is fantastic. And I'm glad we've evolved as a as a as a society to get to that point. So the fact that they are attempting to eliminate the negative perception and the negative parts that may slow the adoption and, and acceptance down is a is a great way to get ahead of any potential problems and do better for society as we as we look to advance how we how we move across the world well well said and as we look at for how we're advancing we, we spoke of mark cousin the ceo of a cube which is airbus's really cool innovation lab and they're working on autonomous takeoff and landing it's because when you when you talk to a lot of individuals they still don't get it when the plane goes up in the air it's on autopilot and the pilot's there for safety but Airbus is working on the complete takeoff and landing. What are your thoughts on going in a in a plane, you Justin, and not having a pilot and having it run completely on machine learning and artificial intelligence? Any any thoughts? I put a lot of faith in in pilots to get me from A to B anyways, and I know a lot of the systems are already automated. So I guess I will continue to put my faith in the powers that be that will get me from A to B safely, whether that's a person or a, a you know a computer system. <laughs> can only you can only hope. And you know, pilots do great, and you know I, I think we're going to get to a point where you, maybe you'll have one one pilot instead of two pilots. I don't see a point in our lifetime where you're going to go on a commercial plane for a variety of reasons without it, but it's going to help. The technology, I think everybody can grant, will help make the pilot a better pilot. If he's feeling drowsy or he's not thinking about something, the, the technology is there to complement it. Almost, um, Toyota has a really great saying where they call their technology guardian angel. 
So now we have Guardian Pilot, and there's going to be a lot of really good things that are going to happen there, especially if you're landing in a tricky airport that might have an incline or a mountain range. This technology will help ensure that every 10 out of 10 times this plane lands perfectly. And when you look at doing things perfectly, you have to look at maintenance of a plane to ensure that the plane is always with predictive maintenance and, and making sure that it is safe for you to fly on. And we had a really insightful conversation. First time I actually ever learned about predictive analytics with Rhonda Waltall, who is a fellow uh, prognosis and health management at Collins Aerospace. And she broke down this complicated topic. You're like, okay, this is not really cool. And she made it fun and she made it interesting. And I'd love to, to roll the clip of uh, Rhonda and chat with you about it. So please roll that clip. What is the future of aerospace in your opinion, and what role do you see urban air mobility playing in that future? Well, I'm very excited about urban air mobility because there is so much work already underway to advance the technologies that will support urban air mobility, such as battery and electric powered aircraft and autonomous systems, connectivity solutions, additive manufacturing, and next generation air traffic management. So there's a lot of work already underway in those areas. I believe personal air vehicles, which are really about the size of a small helicopter, will be our next mode of transportation. They will use clean energy and they will operate safely in our skies. I think we will see people using these small personal vehicles to to fly short distances in cities as well as from the suburbs back into cities. And I live out in the countryside and I would love to be able to take a personal air vehicle up to the Charlotte area, up to the airport, instead of having to make the hour and a half drive. The real challenge will be is how can we make these vehicles affordable for private citizens or affordable for rideshare services? But again, there is just a lot that's going on right now that supports this whole development of urban air mobility. So I'm very excited about it. I definitely see it happening in my lifetime. Got to agree with Rhonda. It's it's definitely going to happen in our lifetime. And I like how Rhonda pointed out the sustainability element around clean energy and how these are going to be electric. Is SAE or any of the committees doing any work around the charging of electric vertical takeoff and landing that you're aware of? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not fully aware of, of all the work that our committees uh, are doing. There's just so many of them. Um, but I know that is a uh, that the eVTOL space is, is one that, that we have a, a lot of hands in, in, in the mix there. And, and, you know, Rhonda, she's such a great person to end this episode with, this clip. I mean, Rhonda is such a great supporter of SAE. She's our director of the aerospace sector on our board of directors. And, uh, you know, when you hear her talk in that clip, I think the one thing that really, really struck me was just how she she, she talks about, you know, she lives out in the country and, and she's not in an urban area. Personally, my wife works out at a very rural school district. Uh, she's a teacher, works out at a very rural rural school district, and they don't have a lot of access to, you know, downtown Pittsburgh, where, where, where we live. It's a nice, easy trip for us, but for them, it's a, you know, a two-hour drive. So they're not going there all the, they, you know, that's, it's hard to get there there. But if you can get these type of technologies and these type of systems available, it creates that equity where those kids that are out in the country have a have an opportunity to get in and see museums, see arts, have the experiences that others who really take it for granted get to have. So I just think it's amazing when you think about the type of equity that you can create across the board for people who may not have had that in the past. Technology can make that a reality. 
I'm, I've got the biggest smile on my face because you brought up a topic that's near and dear to my heart is, is children in, in education. And I've always had this theory around ground vehicles with autonomous vehicles where uh, when I would talk to individuals in Los Angeles, I didn't realize that some of these children have never seen a desert. They've never been a Josh tree, never seen a cacti. You look at it from Pittsburgh <clears throat> and, you, and you have that rural district. And you bring that kid and you show him in Pittsburgh, you've got a lot of really great innovations. You've got the Andy Warhol Foundation. You're seeing this really great contemporary art. You have the Heinz Ketchup Factory. You can learn about all these different innovations and things that happen because Pittsburgh has such a rich history. So you bring this child or, or children into downtown Pittsburgh. You experience the Warhol art. You experience the Heinz Ketchup. My God, you think about the light bulb you're going to open up in that kid's mind. Well, I can build a better packaging for that. Oh, I, I, this is how you this is how you sold art. Well, I can I can build that. I can take this and I can digitize it and I can create the next artsy. The light bulbs that go off on these in these kids' imaginations because now they have access to rich culture or they can go, they can see an opera or have a cultural event. I mean, my God, th this technology we're not building it for us. We're building it for our children and our children's children and allow them to have access or to, to see a dinosaur bone. And this is just like going to get completely completely fascinating. So I think you so much for bringing that up because you are so spot on and we can't lose sight of it and with brian Seleski on a previous podcast we dove deep into into education and, and this is not for us this is for our children and this is the most incredible way to wrap up this podcast as we get ready to launch into our 2021 series we're going to dive more into education and justin falls you pulled out a baseball bat and you just hit a babe ruth size home run on that so I thank you so much for for coming on the podcast for these three recap series. I can't wait to work with you in, throughout 2021 to build some amazing content. And thank you for that comment. I'm so excited that we were able to launch this podcast in, in 2020. We survived through a lot of challenges, some shifts in approach, our initial plans for for how this was going to work this whole team that we have working on this podcast starting with and just to give a plug to marcy heineman who has really been the glue that made all of this a reality just to make this such a successful venture over the course of 2020 we've elevated sae's brand we've reached new audiences there's just so much potential and there's still so much more we can do with this podcast and i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing it grow so you know thank you for being an awesome and amazing host helping us get such great guests and such great conversations from these guests so you know there is just so much possibility we have in the future and i can't wait to see what where it goes from here well thank you for those kind words and uh, a huge shout out to, to marcy hyman because without her uh this wouldn't be possible and it would always continue for our listeners we will always continue to look to the future and bring you really interesting stories and go behind the technology to share those impactful stories that hopefully will have a positive impact on you and your careers. And so thank you very much and, and cheers to a wonderful 2021. Thank you for listening to SAE's Tomorrow Today podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate it, share your feedback, we love comments, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information on SAE and SAE podcasts, be sure to visit sae.org forward slash podcast and follow SAE on social media at SAEINTL on Twitter and Instagram and at SAE International on Facebook and LinkedIn. 
SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.